Hi, welcome to this week's Seacoast Vineyard Podcast, coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We hope this message will touch your life in a meaningful way and that you'll be encouraged in your journey with God. Thanks, Rick. Well, happy birthday, church. Oh, come on. I know we flip it. I did. Is there anybody in here that was with us on that first Sunday? John, the Hertz. Yeah, see, there's still a few hanging in there. 15 years. So the, those of you who don't know, we started 15 years ago today down in the uh, retreat center in North Myrtle Beach. And uh, we gathered in their cafeteria, actually, in a little narrow room. And uh, we had a kitchen available to us, which we took advantage of. And, and so um, and I'm going through a lot, of, uh, a lot of gratefulness right now in my heart in the last few days as, as I've thought back over the last 15 years. I do want to say from... Uh, my heart, and from Karen, my wife, beautiful wife right back there. There she is. But uh, thank you to the staff. Thank you to everybody who volunteers. We've got so many people. I think, I think in this church we have something like 180 volunteers that every week, you know, that serve. And, and uh, Jenny and Jane were out there setting all this up this morning, and then Bruce and Chris and Paul and Brian and whoever else, all, all the people that helped yesterday with our outreach to the neighborhood. Thank you guys so much. I'm going to miss so many people. Um, I'm getting in trouble already. And um, just this church runs on volunteers. A lot of people don't realize that that uh, we have a, we have like part-time staff. I'm the only full-time person, and we have part-time staff and volunteers that do all the work around here. And so, I mean, they are working consistently all the time to, to take care of things and to reach out to our neighborhood. So, um, and I, I do want to mention Chris because Chris is up here leading worship. He works with the children, our, our family life pastor that was just up here. He has this beautiful dream of seeing that there is a ministry developed here in the church that goes from the cradle to college and that the young newborns can be raised to know who Jesus is, and the parents can be helped. And Chris is down. He runs from here. He runs back through there, and then he zigzags, and he runs back to the cafe. And now he's in the cafe. Can we all give a shout-out to say thanks, Chris, right now to him? Thanks, Chris! Uh, we do. Uh, we we got our hands in a lot of things uh, as far as trying to share the love of Jesus to people in the neighborhood. One of the things that maybe some of you don't know is that we also try to plant a church every few years. That is, we try to start a new church. This church has been involved in four other church plants. Uh, we have one down in Beaufort. Mark and Heidi Walker uh, pastor that church and. Uh, they're doing a great job. They were our first that we participated in planting that church. We have Jen and Toller Parker up in Greenville. They meet in a coffee cafe on Sunday nights. They went out about three years ago. Uh, we're helping Mike Nelson up in Raleigh at the Mercy Vineyard. And then we have our friend Lucas Granger, Lucas and Devin Granger, who came out of this church about two and a half years ago, three years ago. They're right up the road in Shalote, or as we like to call it, Shalate. Shalate, North Carolina, and uh, as is the uh, habit of young church planters, he wanted to uh, greet us and tell us happy birthday. So here's a message from Lucas. (laughs) 
Seacoast Vineyard, happy 15 years. 15 years, wow. So fast. Uh, if you, Hey, we are filming here. Oh. This is oh. the worship leader, Kyle. Uh, and also, if you don't know me, my name is Lucas Granger. We are a church plant here up the road from you guys, Coastal Vineyard Church. We planted out about two and a half years. And just want to say a special thank you to uh, Pastor Tim and to all you guys at Seacoast. Happy 15 years. If anything that I could just leave you guys thinking about for the next 15 years, there's just this one thing, this one thing that's so important, it would be this. Never, ever, ever. How do you turn this thing off right here? Vineyard, just want to say, hold on, we'll start again. Just let it roll, and I can edit out the hell. (laughs) (laughs) Just let it roll. I'm terrible at the camera. Okay, Uh, I say thank you for everyone, all of your giving, everything that you do to make what. Man, that's terrible. I can't do it. <laughs> come like, come like, come like three times. It's funny. Come three times. Now. <laughs> right now. No, we'll, we'll He's going to start all over we'll again. That's all right. Uh, I'm trying to. I need like a timer too. Where's that clock? Uh, <laughs> that is one awesome beard. That's all I gotta say. I am, I am like totally impressed. I mean, wow, it's awesome. We actually have John and Kathy Chester, our vineyard church planters. You guys stand up. They're in Wilmington, just planting their church. Yeah. There, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Dear friends from Ohio, moved down to God's country. Everybody needs to move south. Come on. The birthdays do things to you. They make you think back, uh, take stock of where you are, where you've been, and also kind of the refocus and and look forward. And I couldn't help but think back to how the whole journey started anyway in the first place. And some of you have heard part of this story before, but uh, you're going to hear it again because I like to tell it. All right? And it's my birthday, doggone it. So uh, it was the church's birthday. But 41 years ago, about a uh, long time ago, uh, I was getting ready to get married uh, three months out of that. And I was uh, surfing and you know, doing, going to school in my third year of college. I had quit my dabbling in drugs and started trying to clean my life up. And so I'd gone, I went from one extreme to the other. I thought, well, if you can mess your life up so much, surely you can clean your life up the same extreme amount. So I'm like, let's just clean my life up. So I got into like yoga and transcendental meditation and I started eating these weird foods. I mean, like bran you guys know what brand is? You know, I'm kind of a guy of extremes. I, I think if somebody says a little bit's good for you, then a lot is like really, really great for you. And so I worked at a surf shop, and we had a health food store in the surf shop too. And so they had this 100% brand, and I thought, that's going to be my cereal. I'm really going to, you know, I'm trying to get my life cleaned up. So I get this bag, and Karen, my fiance, my wife, she says, I don't think you should put much of that in your bowl, in your cereal bowl. But I said, hey, I'm, it's going to be my cereal. <laughs> because I'm, I'm getting straightened out here. So I just pour a whole bowl of bran, just 100% bran. Yeah, you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my life was trying to switch and turn. But, I, you know, God was not really, God was really not on my radar screen at all. And some of you guys have 
like I heard, heard this story before, but I was trying just to clean myself up, just trying to get clean enough to think straight. I always dreamed of having a family, always wanted children. Uh, the minute I saw my wife in high school, just a shortly time after that, I knew I was going to marry her. It took me seven times asking her out where she would go out with me. Lesson, do not give up. If the bass player in my band had not talked me into making that seventh phone call, I would not be married now. <laughs> so he says, try her one more time, Tim, one more time. I'm like, man, she's turned me down six times, you know. But I won. 41 years later, we're still together. Whoop, whoop. There you go. But I wasn't searching for God. I wasn't looking for God. I was just trying to be a good surfer, trying to get my life on track. And uh, this time rolls around, and a friend of mine invites me. He says, look, we're going to the contest together up in North Carolina. Why don't you ride with me? Uh, we'll just we'll get a hotel room together for the contest. And so I rode up with him, and we got up there and uh, checked into this dingy little roach-infested place. And uh, I think it was August the 30th, maybe, 1971. Got in there kind of late and checked in the next morning, get up on May 1st to have Saturday morning to go and paddle out into my first heat, and the waves are flat, go figure, east coast, no waves. So they call the contest off to about one that afternoon, so we go back to the room, I break out my brand, <laughs> my, my bag of like chipmunk food, and uh, I think one time I actually ate blades of grass from the yard, because somebody told me it was good for you. It was like I was, I really went to an extreme. But I went back to the room, and so I was stretching, I was doing some yoga, stretching out, and trying to get ready for the afternoon heats and all, and and I went over into the corner to meditate, and I was stretching out and stuff. And Danny, the guy that asked me to go with him, he said, Hey, man, what in the world are you doing? And I said, Well, yeah, I'm getting centered. I'm getting focused. I'm just trying to get some peace in my life so I can surf the best heat I've had. You know, I'm just trying to pull my life together, just focus it. And, uh, and he said, That looks really complicated. Can I share something with you? And he just sat down with me and began to tell me about a name that I had heard in some ways, on the radio, on television, living down south in the Bible Belt, you've heard the name of Jesus over and over and over again. You guys have heard his name over and over and over again so many times. I'd heard it so many times that I had discounted him. I'd pushed him to the back, and I'd started going after these esoteric religions. And At the time, I was just pushing into Zoroastrianism and pressing into the TM thing and all of that. And and I can't explain, I, I still to this day, it's the most marvelous mystery. The most marvelous mystery that somehow between here, and I'm a very pragmatic person, but somehow between here and between here, some kind of switch, something happens when you finally hear that news of that Jesus was, and it, it, this awakening happens in your life that this Jesus that maybe you've heard a lot about is actually who he said he was. I didn't go to Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. I didn't go to Moorhead City, North Carolina for that weekend looking for God. I never went there looking for God. He was not on my radar. I went up there to win a contest. That's what I went for. But you know what? God was waiting when I got there. I still, I still can't. It's just hard to, to realize that it all started with a friend's observation. And then his declaration to me. Then his explanation to me. And then my fascination over his explanation that led to my salvation. I mean, I'm like, and it happened in the, like this. It happened in this moment in time when you can't explain it. You can't analyze it. You can't sit down and go, 
This is how it happened. Step one, Tim did this. Step two, God. No. The Father intersected at that point in time in life and just the mundane things that I went through. It was just another contest. It was just another time with some friends. There was nothing special about it. I wasn't looking for it. I didn't think, gosh, this is going to change my life. This is going to change my future marriage. This is going to change everything. I didn't go there with that. I didn't show up with that in mind. I didn't expect that to happen. Two things came out of that afternoon. And like I said, I, sometimes I wish I could sit down with each person that is kind of on their journey and explain how this thing happened. But all I know is I came out of that moment in time and it wasn't emotional for me. It wasn't like I was, oh, Jesus. I've had those times since, you know, falling on my face and pouring it out to God and everything. But that wasn't emotional. It was a click, a switch from my head to my heart to bang, poop, poop. Like that, God met me where I was in everyday life. He just intersected that moment. And all of a sudden, out of that came this voracious appetite to know more about this man, Jesus. Who he was, what he did. My friend explained to me there was this huge gap between me and God and that no amount of eating chipmunk food and no amount of transcendental meditation and no, no amount of whatever I wanted to do in my life would ever bridge that gap. I could never get across the chasm. And I don't know, it just, the switch goes on and this appetite for Jesus happens. And, and the next thing that happened is I had to tell somebody. I didn't know one verse in the Bible. Nothing. Nada. I didn't know one verse... I can't explain this. And to be honest with you, all I know is that I didn't know any Jesus jive, okay? I didn't know any Jesus jive. I didn't know any religious cliches. I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew was that he was real and that I had to tell somebody about it. That's all I knew. And I don't know if Danny did this to me. I did it to myself, but I, somehow I ended up outside a bar where Marines, surfers, and fishermen went. Now, that's a really nice combination there especially back in the beginning of the 70s. So I, I was stationed. I don't know if Danny put me there or if I got my, I don't remember the story, but I remember standing by the door and I, every person that came out of that door, and I had been a Christian for all of about four hours and uh, did not know any Bible, didn't know anything, but everybody that came out of that door, I said, did you know Jesus is coming back? That's all I said. I, I don't know what I would have said if they said, yeah, tell me about it. I would well, that's what this guy just told me, and something happened. <laughs> something happened. I, I, it happened. I believe it. I believe that, that Jesus came. I, I don't understand it, but it happened. I do remember this one guy, Tybee Island, Savannah, Georgia, armpit of surfing on the East Coast. I love you, Savannah. And uh, this one guy, Jack Mocker, one surfer that was in the contest. Jack walked out. I can still right now see that bleached blonde hair and him walking out. I said, hey, Jack. He turned and looked. I said, Jesus is coming back. And I remember Jack looking at me going, Ooh, that's heavy, man. <laughs> that was the extent of my first witnessing campaign. I don't know how God does these things, you know? I don't know how it goes from when he grabs your imagination, when he grabs your fascination, and something happens between here 
And here in this thing, you go from darkness to light. I didn't have to prep for it. I didn't have to read for it. I didn't have to study for it. God just entered my life at that moment, at that time. You've got a little handout in your folder there this morning. And if you want to track along with me, you can. And your first handout there is simply this. And uh, my theme today is kind of within reach. And that is that Jesus was within reach of this 20-year-old surfer. And he's within reach of you this morning as well. God wasn't so removed from my life, even though I had kind of removed him. He wasn't so removed that he couldn't find me on that Saturday. He was within reach. Over in John 4, which is where we're going to be this morning, is a story probably one of the... I just love this story. You guys ever read this thing right here? I mean, since that day, I've realized there's some good stuff in here. And so I've started reading it. And um, in John 4, there's a story of a woman that Jesus meets. And in John 4, 4, it says, Now he, talking about Jesus, had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. And I think back now and I think Jesus had to go through Atlantic Beach, North Carolina. He just had to. He had to. And you know what else I think? I think Jesus has to go through Myrtle Beach. He desires to come through Myrtle Beach. We're in a series called Mega Myths. And that is where we look at different beliefs that maybe we've picked up along the way in church or someone's taught us that hinder us, that block us. We don't know where these myths come from. And we've covered all kinds of uh, different ones. We're going to be in this series for a couple more weeks. Then we're going to move into another one. But today I want to look at the myth that only the super spiritual can share their faith. Only the super spiritual can share their faith. Uh, I, I hate having to explain metaphors, but I probably need to explain that one. Uh, <laughs> somebody said, what's with the uh, lumberjack there? Well, our, our, our whole theme has been mega myths, and there's been an axe leaned up against a tree so that the myths can be chopped down. So the lumberjack is telling us happy birthday this morning who's <laughs> chopping the myths down. So there you go. So we're going to take a look at this, and we're going to look at it from John 4. And let's pray and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the 15 years. Thank you for your faithfulness, God, through good times, bad times, pain, sometimes suffering, the happy times, the joy. You have been the same, Lord. You are faithful. Jesus, I ask for you to honor us with your presence, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you that we touched you a little bit and you touched us in the worship earlier you are the one thing Lord you're the one thing and so we ask for you to come make yourself known this morning breathe life on your word breathe life to us in Jesus name amen so in John 4 Jesus is taking a little journey Pharisees heard Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples. Actually, Jesus didn't do any baptizing, so they misunderstood that. And we get to verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Why did he have to go through Samaria? He didn't really have to go through Samaria. Matter of fact, a good Jewish rabbi would never go through Samaria. Even though going through Samaria is the shortest distance, any good 
Jewish person would walk all the way around because they didn't want to go through this land where these people, Samaritans, were. You see, Samaritans were kind of a religious mutt. They were kind of like what I was at the time, picking up this religion, that religion, picking up this belief, that belief, anything they could to try to make sense of life. And actually, the Jewish people and the Samaritans had a really rough history. It wasn't that many years earlier that temples had been burnt, people had been killed between these two groups. And so Jewish people just didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And so you know how, you know how we do? Like you're at Market Common and you see somebody, I don't want to see them. So you walk around. Now you walk around people. You know how you do that? Well, that's what most of the Jewish people would have done. They like walk around the Samaritans. I don't want to put myself in a position of being near these people. They disgust me. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I don't like this type of person. But John 4, 4, he had to go. He had to go. I'm so grateful Jesus had to go to Atlantic Beach. I'm so grateful that Jesus has to go here this morning. That he's coming through Myrtle Beach right now in this place. He's traveling through here. He is here. Now, and this woman was just going about life. Jesus comes up to this very famous well in the desert. And uh, he sits down at this well. He's hungry. He's tired. He's thirsty. He sends the disciples off to get some food. Jesus sits down by this well. Like I said, it was very famous. I guess you could say it was well known. But, I didn't go over well, did it? Okay. Oh, well. Okay, let's move on. Anyway, this woman was just doing life. She was just doing life. That's all she was. She was not on any pursuit of anything. Thirsty in the middle of the day, she comes out when all the women are not there. And if you read about her life, which we're not going to go into this morning, you'll see why she didn't want to go out in public as much with lots of people around. So she shows up at the well. She sits down. We've got Jesus who's hungry and thirsty, and we've got a woman who's thirsty bringing her jar to this famous well to get water. And Jesus begins a conversation with her, and I love the fact that he starts it with a question. And I have to tell you something, folks. We say this all the time, but we do not drag Jesus into any situation. And if this will destroy this myth about only the super spiritual can share their faith. We always think it's on us. How am I going to get Jesus into this group? How am I going to get Jesus to my family member? How am I going to get Jesus to... The Father is already there working. Jesus said, I only do what? Somebody want to give me that back? Yeah, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And then he says, my father is working and he's working even until now. In other words, he's out there doing things. See, I didn't go up there finding God. God was there. God found me. It was a setup. And there's a setup for your friends, for your family. God is already out there. You don't drag Jesus into any conversation. You just join the father in what he's already doing. So relax. Relax just a little bit. You don't have to initiate that. You do have to participate. You don't have to initiate, but you need eyes to see. You need eyes to see what the Father is doing, praying, 
listening, looking for that jar of water, looking for the well. Father, what are you doing? What are you doing with this person, with this family member? How are you speaking to them? What's their needs? What's their thirst? What are you doing? Because you love them a lot more than we do. And we worry about the E word, the evangelism word. It's kinda, it was kind of easy in the beginning when I started out because I didn't know there was such a word. I didn't know that you called it evangelism. I had no idea what that was. Matter of fact, I didn't know what anything was. All I knew was that Jesus had entered my life in a tremendous life-shattering way. I called, I called Karen that night. We got back after the, the heats were done, and I went out and called her on the phone, and I was so ecstatic. We were going to be married in, three, in two months, and uh, she thought I'd join a cult. She, uh, oh my gosh, my future husband, he's wigged out. You know, he's, I, I didn't know. There's some beauty about not knowing how the church wants you to behave. There's some beauty in wild Jesus being in your heart. There's some beauty about being where people are that God loves and that he died for. There's some beauty in not having any rules to this thing of just simply being with people with the love of God in your heart and looking for what the Father is doing. There's some beauty in not being structured and not having to take 37 weeks of how to evangelize. And simply getting out and looking for a hunger in somebody's heart and just waiting for that question. Waiting for one moment in time when you see what the Father is doing so you can step into it. And you can participate with God. 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul's telling his young church planner, Timothy, he says, but you, these are good words, keep your head. Don't lose it in all situations. Endure hardship. When people reject you, when people don't, Get it. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. Well, I'm not an evangelist. Well, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of, and with the, the E word is not that big of a deal. It simply means telling somebody good news. That's it. Do you have any good news? Has God done anything in your life good? Anything. Well, then you're the bearer of good news. You've got something right here that's good. You've got something to share when you see what the Father is doing in someone else's life. Do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of proclaiming the good news. For this woman at the well, Jesus sat down with her and began to, as we used to say, read her mail. He saw her broken life. He saw the failures in relationships, but he didn't bail on her. You know, he could have criticized her and just walked off. Instead, he revealed to her that he knew her well, but he was still spending time with her. He was still sitting at that well. Willing, and I mean, this is miraculous. Number one, it's a woman, a rabbi, a Jewish man would never be sitting at the well in public with a woman during this day, much less a Samaritan woman. Say everything wrong culturally, and that's what was going on. Because Jesus did not operate in these confined spaces. Whatever he saw the Father doing, he stepped into it and did it. Oh, for a church that's unleashed, <laughs> unleashed from the parameters and the borders and 
all of this stuff so that we can simply go to where people are that God loves, that Jesus loves, to step into the work that the Father's already doing. You say, well, I'm not an extrovert. I can't just, well, you don't have to be. Remember this guy named Moses? Moses was a lot better at killing people than he was leading them. I mean, he was one of these guys that the hesitant leader and God came to him. Remember that story? God comes to him, says, I'm calling you, Moses, to lead my people out. And Moses stutters. He's like, you got the wrong man. You got the wrong man. I can't speak. Some people think he stuttered really badly. I can't talk. And so Moses asked God for a business card. He says, if I'm going to go to Pharaoh, I want to be able to tell him who's sending me. Who is sending me? Who's going to send me there? I wouldn't. Somebody's got to give me backup. I'm not going in by myself. All right, God. And what did God tell him? Do you, who sent him? Whose name's on the business card? Yeah, the QR. It's like, uh, I am that I am sent me. That's weird. I don't care what you say. That's just kind of weird. I mean, if somebody came in and said, hey, I'm from I am. It's like, what? This one rabbi took that phrase, I am that I am, I am sent me, took that one phrase, and for the last about 20 years of his life, he looked through every possible interpretation of it, and he came down with this definition. The best definition for God's name out of that is simply this, I will be there. God was telling Moses, look, when you show up, I'm already there. I will be there. Jesus is within reach of people. Jesus is within reach. God is already there. You don't have to initiate the spiritual work that it takes to see someone's heart warm for Christ. God's already loving them. He's already working on them. I will be there. And your second fill-in here is simply this. She, the woman, was within reach. There are friends of yours who are within reach right now of you. God is working in their life. He's gone ahead of you. Maybe you're here today, and you're like, well, you are here today. That was, that was a profound statement. Maybe you're here. That goes all the way back to a long time ago. You're within reach of God right now. You're within reach of Christ. At this very moment, this woman was within reach. She thought she could never get close with her failures, with who she was. She was within reach of Jesus. John 4, 7 When a Samaritan woman, man, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, this was no special person. It was just a Samaritan woman. It was just a surfer. That's all it was. This was just a Samaritan woman, but Jesus was there for her. Came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? <laughs> oh, Jesus is so smart. He starts that conversation, that beautiful conversation. She was just doing life, grabbing some water, and Jesus intersected her life right at that point in time. There was no big evangelistic campaign. They didn't set up the stage. They didn't have the music going. It was just a moment in her life when Jesus was there. Just like there's a moment in your life right now while you're here and you're sitting here right now and God intersects with your life at that time. 
Your good news is enough to capture someone's heart, dear Christian. What God has done in your life right now is enough power to be able to join with what the Father is doing and to see a consummation of God's plan for another person's life. The next 15 years, the next two years, the next five years for us as a church, if we don't all own this personally of our own world and looking for God to intersect us with other people, we will never do what we're called to do as a church. We'll do things together, but if we don't personally own those moments of meeting with someone at the well, looking for what the Father's doing, looking for the thirst in someone else's eyes, listening for those, that evidence that God is up to something, we'll never do what we're called to. I am so grateful for what we've seen. We've, we've seen, I kept the numbers, for, we've got way over 1,000, 1,200 people, 1,500 people who've come to Christ just in the last 10 years through this church that I know of. I used to write it all down, write it every Sunday. If I'd, but I have to tell you, we start the journey and we have to keep up with the journey. We get ourselves into it and we begin to walk with somebody else. We bring them along with us. We walk. We help them get to the water. We help them find that water of life. In John 4, 28 through 30, it says, she, talking to the Samaritan woman, then leaving her water jar. Wait a minute, I thought she was thirsty. What's happening here? Leaving her water jar. She walked off from it. What? How, did, how could that happen? The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Sometimes all it takes is a question for someone to say, is it possible that this Jesus is real? Could this be the Christ? That's all it takes for God to just sweep into a person's life and capture them. Your last one there is simply this. Her town was within reach. It says they came out of the town and made their way toward him. I believe Myrtle Beach is within reach. I believe the Grand Strand is within reach. We have, I think, three or four counties that come to this church. I think your area, your city, your town is within reach. I believe Jesus is walking through every single one of our neighborhoods. And I can tell you this, he's walking through the watering holes of Myrtle Beach. Some of us sit right next to thirsty people all the time. And they keep trying to satisfy the thirst that they have. And then we have the real water as God deals with them. She left her water jar. Her failures, this is the thing. Once you see this, once Jesus comes into your life, your failures will not stop you from telling somebody else about what happened to you. This woman was a mess. She went right back to her town, the town that she was in, so embarrassed in that she had to come out away from all the other women to get water. She went right back to her town and suffered possibly a lot of ridicule and scorn, but she did it. She went right back to her town, and somehow God used her to bring the whole city back out to Jesus. Don't you write yourself off. Don't you say, there's no way Jesus can't use me. Don't you ever say, I've done too much. I've messed up too many times. I'm a mess. There's no way God could ever use me. Tell that to Moses. Tell that to Paul. Tell that to Peter. Tell that to this lady. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Not you. Not me. 
The power is in the good news. John 4, 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, because of her words. He told me everything I ever did, she said. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Boy, here, here goes the process. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. It started with her words, and it ends up with his words. It started with Danny's words, and it ended up with his words for me. And it can start with your words, and it can end up with his words. The town is within reach. Your reputation, your past is no hindrance to God. God will use you. If he has burned his message in you, he will use you to reach other people. You just surrender to it. I don't care if you're extrovert, introvert, whateververt, those with a past story, if you've got baggage, if you've got successes, loss, gain, whether you've got some great magnitude of power in your life or none, you feel like you're a weakling, this power of the gospel transcends and overpowers everyone's history. It did this woman. And the Lord used her to change a whole town. I'm so grateful for the last 15 years. I'm grateful. There have been times when I didn't know we were going to make it. <laughs> My wife would have to pray for me. I'd leave our Sunday meeting sometimes, and I'd be so down. And she would pray for me and pray for me and say, God is in this, God is in this, God is in this. I am grateful. I am grateful for what God has done the last 15 years. But I am more excited about what God is going to do in the next few years than I am grateful for the last 15 years. God wants to use you, dear people. The message has been dropped into your heart, the powerful message of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel, the good news is. And it lies within your heart and is even on your tongue. When you leave from here, you're going to go out into that world and you're going to see people that God is already dealing with. The Father is already there just as he was there for me when I got up to that dingy hotel room all those many years ago. He is still there when you run into those people on the job, in the home, or around. You now are the hope of the world because you have the message on your tongue and the Father is out there doing the work. Dear Vineyard folks, I just want to say we all need to own this personally. What an honor to be able to preach the gospel, to share the gospel, to tell other people about the love of Jesus Christ. What a great honor. And so if nobody ever knows who we are, so what? Our director, Phil Strout, says, so you preach the gospel and you die. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Preach the gospel and go to your reward. We could do no better. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful this morning for your goodness, your faithfulness, and your kindness. Thank you for 15 years ago in that little room, Lord, that we gathered. You met us, and you met us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You were faithful. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you've met the needs of this church all these years. You've brought wonderful people like they're sitting in this room to come along and partner with us. 
and to do this thing together. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you. It's the one thing that has drawn us together like we were singing that last song. The one thing. And it is still the one thing that means everything. It's Jesus. One thing. And while we're praying right now, I just, I want to ask this because just like me on that Saturday, I believe there are people here and God has your heart. You know he has intersected your life right now. This is your time. Maybe you didn't come in here looking for it, but you know that God has intersected your life. He has your heart in his hand and he is pulling you toward himself. I want to pray for you if that's you. And if you just just stick your hand up in there quick. Let me see that it's you. I would just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. He was not ashamed of us. He went to the cross in the public scorn. We dare not be ashamed of him. Our Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one who has cleansed us and given us new life and a hope for a future. What else can we do but follow him with all of our heart? Father, I pray for those that raise their hand your blessed Holy Spirit, you come into our lives and this miracle thing, God, rebirthing happens. We go from thinking about it to suddenly knowing it. We don't have all our answers yet, but Lord, we know something's changed in our heart. I pray for those that raise their hand. Holy Spirit, just affirm your presence to them right now. They surrender to you. Affirm your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and were perhaps even challenged in some way to continue pursuing a closer relationship with God through Jesus. Here at Seacoast Vineyard Church, our vision is to worship God with passion, to reach out in Jesus' name with compassion, and to mature as a people of power and purpose. For more information, including our location and gathering times, visit www.seacoastvineyard.com.